What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week this week and every week. In this upcoming episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL. We had some major QB signings, one signed to a division rival, one signed to a massive contract. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Sabres and maybe how long should you give a first-round rookie in the NHL to develop. Also, we're going to talk something that we don't normally talk about, which is world-class boxing here in Western New York. Stick around to find out what I'm talking about, and let's have some fun. Before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who listens to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe to me on the listening platform of your choice and leave me a good thumbs up rating so that more people can find out about this podcast. Also, if you like this podcast, do not underestimate the word of mouth. Make sure you tell your friends, you tell your family to give me a listen because they might also like what they hear. You can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. You can follow me on Twitter at SportstalkBuff1. That's SportstalkBuff1 on Twitter. You can also email me at SportstalkBuffalo at Yahoo.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Now let's get on with the rest of the episode. All right, and welcome to segment one of episode 63 of Sports Talk Buffalo. I cannot believe I'm already on episode 63, but let's jump right into it and talk about the big news from the NFL in this past week. Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs has signed a massive 10-year extension worth $450 million with it. Uh, The contract can go as high as $503 million with incentives. But if you go on the CBS.com and look at the article that was written, it it will be kind of impossible for him to get all the way up to that $503 million in terms of incentives. But $450 million, that's $45 million a year, and $140 million of that money is fully guaranteed. Now, my first impression when I heard about this deal is, man, the NFL is eventually going to eat itself. These contracts keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it seems like there's no end in sight. They're going to price the little man out of it, but when you actually look at it, it's really not that terrible, and most quarterbacks are not going to get a deal like Patrick Mahomes here. He's got $45 million a year, but again, if you look at it over the course of the next 12 years, because he's still signed for two more years on his rookie contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, it is kind of a reasonable deal. When you look 10 years down the road, how big are contracts going to be for quarterbacks in his sort of skill set at the upper echelon of the NFL? You're looking at guys who are not anywhere near Patrick Mahomes level making close to $30 million a year already, and now you're going to have Patrick Mahomes locked up, guaranteed for the next 10 years or 12 years, 10 more years than his contract already for $45 million a year. As I said, at first, when I looked at it, I said, man, this is a very big contract, and the Kansas City Chiefs are taking a very big gamble in hoping that Patrick Mahomes stays healthy and stays productive 
for that entirety of the contract. But if you really look at it, and, and, and it was a lot of money, if you really look at it, it's really not that bad for both sides. The Kansas City Chiefs get a good young quarterback for the next 12 years, essentially for the duration of his career. He's going to stay in Kansas City, and in about five to six years' time, the contract is not going to look that bad comparatively to the other quarterbacks in the NFL. And Kansas City, though it is a lot of money right now, in the future, like I said, it might not look like a lot of money for them. For Patrick Mahomes, he gets stability, essentially. He gets stability and being able to stay in Kansas City for the next 12 years. Essentially, that is a very big thing in professional sports. You don't really see a lot of guys stick around that long. You see it a little bit more in the NFL for the upper echelon guys, especially quarterbacks. They stick around with the same team for a majority of their careers. But again, in professional sports, you don't see guys really, at least in today's day and age, you don't see guys stick around for that long. So it is a great deal for Kansas City Chiefs as they get a great young quarterback. And it is a great deal for Patrick Mahomes as he's going to get not only stability, but they backed up the Brinks truck to him. And as long as he stays relatively healthy and stay and is able to stay on the Kansas City roster, which I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do that, he's going to earn a butt ton of money. The other big news that I didn't do, it happened last week, right about the time I was recording last week's episode, so I didn't really get a chance to sneak it in there, was the Patriots signed Cam Newton. Now, this was talked about all offseason, that the Patriots were going to go after Cam Newton, that they, they had a real void at quarterback, and I think the fact that they didn't get a quarterback in the draft Uh, a quarterback that they wanted in the draft, really kind of forced their hand in signing Cam Newton. Now, Cam Newton was essentially passed over by almost every single team that needed a starting quarterback. And it's kind of a surprise to a lot of people, but it wasn't really a surprise when you look at everything that's going on with the pandemic. People weren't really able to see uh, or get him into their facilities and get him uh, through a physical to see if he was healthy and, and ready to rock and roll. But the Patriots did, and it looks like he is ready to rock and roll for the season. He signed for a $1.05 million contract. 550000 of that is fully guaranteed with a max value of $7.5 million. It is just a one-year contract. And if he hits all of his incentives in the contract, that's what will get him to the $7.5 million. Now, my question with this is, does this change the outcome of the AFC East winners? A lot of people think it does, including the sports books. They already have the Patriots as the favorites in the AFC East now, simply with the Cam Newton signing. My answer is, I believe now it is a three-team race. I still believe the Buffalo Bills are the favorite and they have the Patriots as a legit contender now, whereas with Jared Stidham, I don't even think they would have count. They would have been third or fourth. It wouldn't have even been close, in my opinion. They were like a four to six win team max. But I think with the addition of a guy like Cam Newton, who's a, a pretty decent quarterback, it, it's going to elevate them another two to three, maybe four wins. They have a fantastic defense. If Cam Newton cannot turn the ball over, they have a real chance to win a bunch of games. And then... Here's, the, here's my dark horse in the division is the Miami Dolphins. They added a ton of talent. They added a potential franchise QB. And 
let's not overlook the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick won five games with essentially a CFL roster uh, last year. It was absolutely incredible what he was able to do with the roster and the talent that they had in Miami. So the Miami Dolphins have a, a dark horse chance, in my opinion, to actually win the AFC East. I think it's going to come down to the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots again. I give the nod to the Buffalo Bills. I think it's I think the Patriots are going to be 9-7 and seven now, maybe 10-6, and six, and I have the Buffalo Bills at at least 10-6 and six or 11-5, and five, and I think they finally win the division this year. Some of the reasons why I think Cam Newton can have a good season in this upcoming season is he appears to be fully healthy for the first time in several seasons. And that should scare a lot of people because Cam Newton is a freakish athlete. The second thing is he has a big, big chip on his shoulder from being passed over by teams like Jacksonville and the Colts and teams like that that really needed a quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars are gonna are gonna stick with Gardner Minshew. The Colts went out and got Phillip Rivers. The Bucks signed uh, Tom Brady, which I mean, who can really fault them for signing Tom Brady? But a lot of teams didn't value Cam Newton enough to bring him into their organization to at least compete for a starting spot. Uh, For what reasons, I'm not sure. Maybe they think that, hey, you know, he's over the hill. His body is too banged up. But if you've been paying attention at all, he looks like he is ready to go. He's jacked out of his mind right now, and he looks fully healthy for the first time in several seasons. The third reason why I think he can have a successful comeback season in this year is he has Bill Belichick as a head coach, and Bill Belichick is very good at being able to work with the players that he has in making a good team. I think that they will work with what Cam Newton's skill set is, and I think they will mold the offense around Cam Newton's skill set. That is some of the reasons why I really believe Cam Newton is going to have a very good season and should scare some people that the the New England Patriots signed him signed him this year. Now, some of the reasons why I don't think he'll have a good season, and this list is a little bit longer, is Cam Newton is on a new team. He's got to learn a new system, and he does not have a lot of practice time with the pandemic going on to learn this new system that he has not familiar with at all. The second reason why I don't believe Cam Newton is going to have a good season is simply because he doesn't have enough weapons And that's part of the reason why Tom Brady left is the New England Patriots are cash strapped. They don't have the money to go out and get anybody, bring them into the organization that can really help out the quarterback in this. Their best receiver is Julian Edelman. He's nothing to sneeze at, but he is not a true number one receiver for the New England Patriots to go along with round out the wide receiver room with Nikhil Harry and Mohamed Sanu. Again, I just don't see that the Patriots have enough weapons to really help Cam Newton be incredibly successful this year for the New England Patriots. The third reason why I don't think Cam Newton will have a good season is in eight seasons. Take out the last year because he only played in two games, so we're not going to count 2019. We're going to only count the first eight seasons. He has five losing seasons in the eight years. Now, that might come as a shock to everybody, but in 2011, 
He led his team to 6 and 10 in 2012, 7 and 9, 2014 was 5, 8 and 1, and 2016 he was 6 and 8, and in 2018 he was 6 and 8. So this is where it comes down to uh, obviously he didn't play all the games, but he was hurt some of these games, but still he's led his team to a losing record more often than not. So I think that is I don't know if that necessarily speaks to the kind of quarterback that he is and maybe more so to the teams that he is on, but people speak of Cam Newton like he is some mythical creature, and in terms of sheer athleticism, he is. Let's not get that twisted, but in terms of being a quarterback, not so much, and that is my fourth reason is outside of 2015, which was an unbelievable year, and let's let's not take that away from him. 2015 was absolutely an incredible year, and they just fell short in the Super Bowl. Cam Newton is a freakish athlete, like I said, but, but, but he is an average passer. Ladies and gentlemen, he is an average, average passer. He ha- he averages just 3,518. Now, again, this is taking out his, his sensational season, you set that aside and look at the other body of work that he's done. And in those other seven seasons, he's only thrown for 300 or 3,518 yards per game on average in those seven years, 21 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions in those three years. Again, if you take out his freakish athleticism, which I think is going to start to slow down. It's already taking a toll on his body, so I don't think he's going to be running as much. Maybe he will. I could be completely wrong, but I think that's really taking a toll on his body, and if you keep Cam Newton in the pocket, he doesn't necessarily have all the tools to beat you on a consistent basis, and I think that that is one of the reasons why Cam Newton will have a difficult time this season. He also has only only has 15 fourth quarter comebacks in seven years. To put that in perspective, Josh Allen has six fourth quarter comebacks in less than two years. So that goes to show some guys just have the winning gene and some guys don't. Now, Cam Newton has led his team to a couple of really spectacular seasons. He's made a couple of Pro Bowls. He's, I think he was, he was the MVP in 2015. Not I think, I know. He was the MVP in 2015, had that unbelievable year, 15-1, and one, was just absolutely dynamite, 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, completely amazing. But outside of that, he's pretty average. He came into the league and people thought he was going to be some unbelievable quarterback, and he's an unbelievable athlete, but as a quarterback, as a passer, he's pretty pedestrian. He's middle of the road. He's not bad. Like, let's let's clear that up. He's not bad, but he's just not great. He's middle of the road type of guy, and that's why I think the New England Patriots might actually struggle this year, but they do have a chance. Like I said, Cam Newton has a big, big, big chip on his shoulder going into this year, and that could be a very big problem for the rest of the NFL. You don't want a guy with that sort of freakish athleticism to have any sort of motivation to beat you because then you might get 2015 Cam Newton and he might just completely tear apart the league. I It's less likely that that's going to happen and more likely that the other seven years of his career are going to happen, but 
You never want to count out somebody who has that much talent because at any given time, they seemingly can put it together much like Cam Newton did in 2014. Also, I just want to throw this out there. Cam Newton has an, a less than 60% completion percentage for his career. Now, that is that is a horrible metric to judge a quarterback's accuracy, but everyone makes a huge deal out of Josh Allen not being... Uh, having a 56 or something like that, and he had a 58.8 completion percentage last year. Cam Newton is a 59.6 for the entirety of his career. He is less than that 60% threshold, and people still are believing that he is just a top five quarterback in the NFL. He's not. He's not. As I stated earlier, he's just not. He is average to above average and has the potential to be great but rarely hits that potential that he had in uh, 2015. He reached his potential in 2015, but he just hasn't been able to put it all together for the rest of the years in his career so far in the NFL. As I said earlier, I believe the Bills will be the first, uh, will win first place in the AFC East. I believe the Patriots will, between the Patriots and the Dolphins, will be second place in the AFC East, and I believe the Jets will come in complete last place in the AFC East simply because their head coach is still Adam Gase, and he is atrocious, and they didn't get uh, Sam Darnold a whole lot of help in the offseason. So, again, Bills 1, Patriots-Dolphins 2, and the New York Jets number 4 in the AFC East this year, provided there is a year, but going into this year, that is my prediction. Stick around in the next segment. We're going to talk about some comments that baby Joe Macy, Western New York's boxing darling, made on an interview with Trainwreck Sports. Stick around. It is very interesting. You're not going to want to miss it. Baby Joe Macy is a name that brings back fond memories here in Western New York, and his name is popping up again because of an interview that he did with Trainwreck Sports. Now, I watched the interview he had with the Trainwreck Sports in which he revealed that he and the Pagula Sports and Entertainment are in the early stages of talks to bring, quote, world-class, end quote, boxing to Buffalo and the Harbor Center. That is big news seeing Sinks how we haven't really had anything like that in and around the Western New York area since baby Joe retired. Since he would bring him to Alumni Arena and into uh, the HSBC Arena, which is what it was called at the time, uh, First Niagara Center now, we haven't really had that sort of sporting event, sporting spectacle in Western New York since the early 2000s with baby Joe. Now, if you don't know who baby Joe Macy is, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. He didn't start boxing until the age of 19 years old. And if you didn't know the sport of boxing, that is very late to start boxing. He was the New York State Golden Gloves champion in the super heavyweight division in 93, 95, and 1996. He was the New York State heavyweight champion in 1999. He was the NABF heavyweight champion in 03. And in 07, he was the WBC US NBC champ. And he amassed an, a professional record of 36 wins with no losses and 29 knockouts. Baby Joe Macy was 
en route to potentially being the world heavyweight champion before an unfortunate injury against Vasily Jirov, which was a sub, uh, subdermal hematoma, which is bleeding on the brain, caused him to essentially be blackballed in and around the boxing world. He did box seven more matches after that match, obviously winning each one of them, but he was essentially blackballed across all of boxing simply because the Las Vegas Boxing Commission would not give him a or would not unsuspend his boxing license, even though several doctors said that this was a one time incident and that he was in no further danger of this happening again. But the Boxing Commission in Las Vegas is very strict and they have never reinstated a boxer with this injury in the history of them being uh, with in the history of their boxing commission. So the long, it was a very long shot after baby Joe got this injury that he was going to be able to box again. And it was very, very unfortunate because again, his level of competition just kept going up and up and up and up. And aside from two rounds against Vasily Jirov, he was completely dominating him on I would say on the feet, but boxing's all on the feet. I'm used to MMA here. But he was completely dominating him, outclassing him for the duration of the fight. I remember watching that fight. He got knocked down three times in the final two rounds, though, simply because he kept pressing forward, which was just horrible advice by his corner. But that's besides the point. That's who Baby Joe is. He is a world-class boxer who amassed a 36-0 and record. Think about that. He is undefeated as a professional boxer with 29 knockouts. The guy's got big power. He was a smaller heavyweight, but he's got big power in both hands, and he finished fights. He was exciting to watch. He was fun to watch, and he knows good boxing. My question is, would you be interested in bringing boxing events to Buffalo, especially the Harbor Center? My answer, of course, is yes. I love sports. Anything that you can bring that's going to be fun for me to go to and watch live, I am all for it, especially. I have been to a King of the Cage, which is amateur slash low-level mixed martial arts at the casinos here in Western New York, and it was a very, very good time. So I cannot imagine what it would be like to have championship fights on national television right here in Buffalo, New York, maybe even having some guys from Western New York on the undercards that you can cheer for. I think that would be absolutely dynamite. I think it's a fantastic idea, and I really hope this materializes. Now, the Harbor Center is a good place for it to start to see if you can generate interest in Western New York to bringing people into this boxing uh, atmosphere. The Harbor Center seats, the main rink at the Harbor Center seats 1,800 people. Now, if you take that, you put the boxing uh, ring in the middle, and you have uh, floor seats on both sides potentially, you are now, and standing room, you are now looking at something closer to 2,500 people that will pack that place to watch world-class boxing. Not only that, but you're going to bring a lot of people from outside of Western New York here that will want to watch these guys fight, and you're going to bring a lot of excitement and a lot more uh, people down into downtown of Buffalo, and it's just a fantastic idea all the way around. Again, I love it. 
I love the idea. I think it's fantastic. I hope it materializes. And I, and like I said, I've been to the King of the Cage. It was live. It was fun. And it was different. It's not the Sabres. It's not the Bills. But it is sports. It's live sports. It's combat sports. And something that we don't get a lot of here in Western New York. So I think it is a fantastic idea. And I really hope it happens. Stick around for segment number three in this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. We're going to talk about how long should you give a in the NHL a first-round rookie draft pick to develop. And yes, I am talking about Casey Middlestat. So stick around for segment number three. If you've stuck around all the way to segment three, first, I'd like to say thank you. And second, I would like to say, how long should you give a first round top 10 pick in the NHL to develop? As I stated before, yes, I'm talking about Casey Middlestat, the eighth overall pick in 2017 for the Buffalo Sabres. Now, I wanted to do this topic because a couple of weeks ago, I said that the Sabres, provided it was a good deal, should re-sign RFA Casey Middlestad. And here's why I said that. In 2017, he was the eighth overall pick. He played just one year of college hockey where he scored 30 points in 34 games. Now, that does not scream NHL-ready If you're me, I'm not even an NHL scout. I'm just a fan. I'm not even in the industry. And I could have said, yes, he is not ready to be in the NHL. I've been saying it for years, and I'm going to say it again. Casey Middlestat was not ready to be in the NHL and be thrust upon in the top or thrust into the role that he had in the top six for the Buffalo Sabres when they signed him at the end of the 2018 season. Casey Middlestat did play good in the six games at the end of the year when they did sign him. He played six games, had five points, and I thought maybe, maybe. I was very excited. Don't get me wrong. I was super excited about Casey Middlestead. I was thinking to myself, man, if the Sabres have two guys that can put up 65-plus points, two centers that can put up 65-plus put up points, they're in fantastic shape. And it gave me a lot of false confidence, and I think it gave a lot of the Sabres front office false confidence in Casey Middlestad's development and where he was. Where the reality is, Casey Middlestad needed a full extra year of college hockey to be able to really start to put on his man body. And by that, I mean slim down. He had a lot of of, of, uh, baby fat, essentially, on his body. He, He still had a child's body, more or less. He was in high school hockey just two years prior to the Sabres bringing him in and really relying on him for 77 games. He played 77 games in the NHL, just two years removed from uh, uh, high school hockey in Minnesota. That's just not good for your development. Most guys in the NHL cannot play before the age of 20. And they really tried to get Casey Middlestat right around that 20-year-old range. They tried to get him in, and, and he just simply was not ready for the rigors of the NHL. He needed another full year in the NCAA, and then he needed a full year 
in the AHL to prove that he can play consistently over the course of a very long season. And then maybe, maybe this year, he would be potentially competing for a spot in the NHL. That's my take. That's what I've been saying for a very long time. And that's still what I believe. I still believe in Casey Middlestad. I still believe the Sabres should sign him. And I still believe that he has the ability to be a very good player in the NHL. If he's not a center, fine. You can put him at wing. But Casey Middlestad is a playmaker and he is extraordinarily talented. When he did go down to the AHL, he had 25 points in his last 30 AHL games. That is a 63 point in a 73 game pace. For Casey Middlestad, he would have he was on pace for 23 goals and 40 assists in the AHL. Now that is a very very good AHL season and that it, that shows growth. That shows him being borderline ready to jump into the NHL and make an impact. Whether it's at center or whether it's at wing, it doesn't matter. Casey Middlestad needed more time to develop and he was rushed by Jason Botterill, and by the Buffalo Sabres staff, and it just did him a complete disservice. It set him back. So now Sabres fans, unless you're going to trade him and get something that's immediate, right now help, in a package deal with Rasmus Ristolainen and maybe your first-round pick, I'm not sure, but I still believe in Casey Middlestat. I still believe he has the ability to play in the NHL. I believe he has the ability to be a top-six player in the NHL. He's that talented. I've seen him live. He's that talented. He can be a top six player in the NHL, in my opinion. And who am I? I'm Joe Nobody, but I've seen him play live. He's tremendous. And he's shown flashes in the NHL of being tremendous. He simply just needed time to develop and be more consistent. Guys who are that young are not used to playing at such a high level night in and night out, every other night, for seven, eight months straight. They're just not used to it. So it takes a toll on your body, and it takes time to learn how to be a professional hockey player. It takes time to learn how to take care of your body. It takes time to get used to the rigors of it, of the travel. That's what people don't take into account. And I think Casey Middlestat, given another year in the AHL, maybe even a half year, can make the jump to the Buffalo Sabres. I think he has the talent to do it. And I think the Sabres, if they can get him to sign a one or two year, two-way contract, let's not get that twisted, a two-way contract so that they don't lose him if they have to keep him in the AHL and call him up and maybe put him back down, then I think the Buffalo Sabres should absolutely go for it. A, a, a prove-it year, so to speak, for Casey Middlesap. If he sounds a one-year, two-way contract, the Sabres can bring him up and down, and he could really start to get a feel and understanding of what it's like to be a professional for a full year in the NHL or AHL. And we can see if he can, he can sustain it and see if he can be consistently great, as I think he could become if he's given the opportunity in Buffalo. That's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your family that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, you can go right to my anchor. 
You can follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. That's SportsTalk, B-U-F-F-1 on Twitter. You can contact direct, me directly at SportsTalkBuffalo at gmail.com or SportsTalkBuffalo at yahoo.com. And I will get back to your email as soon as I can. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week.